the heart of art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Hector Nino. Hello, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. You're listening to The Heart of Art with your host, Hector Nino. And to start off the show today, uh, I want to give you guys a little, some exhibitions that I think you guys would be interested in knowing about. And this next exhibition is actually in the J. Wayne Stark Galleries here at the MSC, at the A&M campus. And it's taking place in the MSC room 1110. And it is called Taking Shape, Geometry, and Art. And this exhibition will actually end March 9th. So if you haven't gone to see it, I do recommend that you go and check it out. And it centers around uh, the 1960s when there was a lot of turmoil and problems going on in the world. And artists decided to express themselves through geometric forms. And um, they took part in the optical art or op art um, form of art. And if this interests you, make sure you go check them out before March 9th at the MSC room 1110. We also have um, the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts is actually bringing the U.S. Army Field Band and Soldiers Chorus. And this is going to take place on Friday, March 11th at 7 p.m. in the Rudder Auditorium. This is actually free and open to the public. So if you do have some time that Friday at 7 p.m., make sure to go check them out. Um, they will be performing Soundtrack of the American Soldier, which is, consists of military stories told through Hollywood. And these are songs from, you know, all the all-time favorites, such as Saving Private Ryan and The Great Escape. So make sure you go to TMU Box Office to get your tickets today. Um, well, speaking about the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts, our first guest is actually the director of the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts, uh, Dr. James R. Ball. He is also the associate professor um, in, under the College of Liberal Arts in Performance Studies. And we will be talking to him a little bit um, about theater, his love for theater, where that all started, and then how he kind of um, used that to go into the world of politics. My second interviewee is going to be Caleb Gandhi. He's actually a well-known local tattoo artist, currently working in Legacy Tattoo. Um, and yeah, we have a small talk about um, his life and where he came about tattooing and how that goes on today. Yeah, let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, your host for The Heart of Art. And today in the studio, we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. James R. Ball III. He is an associate professor here at Texas A&M in the College of Liberal Arts and is the author of Theater of State, A Dramaturgy of the United Nations. Hello, Dr. Ball. Hey, Jim. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. I'm excited for a conversation today. Yeah. All right, so uh, I guess let's get the foundations out first. Where are you from? Sure. Oh, uh, 
I, I'm from the Washington D.C. area. I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, but I also mm-hmm. I, I really I grew up all over. Uh, uh, my father was in international development, and so uh, lived for long stretches in Malawi and Africa, and in Malaysia as oh, well. Um, before returning to the D.C. area uh, in the early '90s, and and did most of my uh, uh, middle school and high school there, and then um, spent 13 years in New York City, uh, and then back to the D.C. area, and then came out here uh, to. Bryan College Station in 2015 when I, I took up my position at, at Texas A&M. All right. Well, you are quite the traveler. <laughs> <laughs> Seem to be very well versed in cultures. I think that, you know, it, it, it's uh, given me a, a sort of an international, a cosmopolitan sort of perspective that it might be reflected in the book that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, do you think that uh, being in those places and living in those places has affected um how you view theater and your love for theater? Yes, absolutely. And I would even say, you know, not just theater, but thinking about performance more broadly. You mentioned I'm an associate professor in uh, the College of Liberal Arts. But specifically, I'm in the Department of Performance Studies, where, you know, uh, though I have a background making theater and, and performing and directing, uh, we really take as our charge in performance studies to, to look at performance on an expanded field, a very a broad spectrum of performance, if you will, not just those things that happen on stages, but also thinking about uh, a performance that happens in everyday life, in um, business situations, uh, uh, even as in the case of my book, in in high level diplomacy and and in right. uh, politics. So I do think that you know, getting out into the world and seeing all the different places in which people perform and, and are making art and the different modes in which performance is happening definitely uh, uh, had a formative effect on me uh, right. uh, and the way I look at these things. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I love about theater, that it can be just applied to everything and anything. Mm. I wanted to move a little bit into uh, your research and sure. on your research on immersive and interactive sure. performance. You know, so my work, my research is is really about spectatorship and politics, I would say. So thinking about the modes with which we watch not just theater, but but movies, TV, uh, perhaps even read books or, or engage with music, um, you know, going to a concert and so on, and thinking about spectatorship, uh, modes of spectatorship that address the whole body, the whole sensorium, where a performance kind of surrounds us and envelops us in different ways. And 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 in theater especially, they, they call this immersive theater. You know, it's it's uh, uh, the, the I'm working on a project right now where I'm looking at um, an escape room in, in Houston called uh, The Man From Beyond. It's by a company called Strange Bird Immersive, where they kind of take the escape room model, but add some immersive theater elements to it. Uh, and there as well, thinking about kind of how we engage with these modes of performance as audience members. Uh, and then beyond that, thinking about how that kind of trains us uh, uh, for uh, engaging with the world more broadly. I, I think about spectatorship and immersive spectatorship specifically as kind of um, doubling the way that we perhaps interact with politics or or uh, the news or or kind of uh, engage interface with the world around us. I think that there's something to be understood about who we are in the world by looking closely about uh, looking closely at the ways that we interface with these immersive works of art. Wow. Yeah. I haven't even heard about such immersive uh, plays like that. Oh, 
looking forward to experiencing yeah. one of those. Well, we have, so, you know, the other hat I wear is I'm the director of the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts here on campus. Awesome. And um, we have uh, previously brought other companies doing that sort of immersive work here to Texas A&M and to Bryan College Station in uh, 2000, in February of 2018, I believe it was. Uh, we brought a, a company called Third Rail Projects uh, that uh, does immersive work all over the country, but also wow. especially in New York. Uh, and they worked closely with students in our dance department and in the, uh, the Department of Performance Studies, as well as several students from visualization. Um, and they took over uh, what was then a, a visualization gallery in downtown Bryan. It's now the, the, the sake bar, the art of war that's up there. Okay. Um, but uh, they created a 20-minute immersive piece where audience members were, were guided through the space, dance happening all around them, music on these sort of fantastical sculptures was being played. Um, and, and it all told a story that was invested in the history of that site because that was once uh, the Parker Lumber Building. And so it, it, it developed into a, sort of a rumination on, on ecology, on, on the role of, of trees in our lives uh, and things of that sort. So we brought them before. Awesome. That sounds very exciting. And thank you for bringing that to College Station, by the way, because I think a lot of people don't really see College Station as like uh, abundant with art, right? Mm. And I mean, I love that to hear that it's yeah. more is being done and especially to involve all forms of art together. That sounds really exciting and something that I think the station area could really mm -hmm. benefit from. That That's our mission at the AVPA and, and certainly in the Department of Performance Studies, we think of it as part of our mission as well, is to to bring artists here and, and to contribute to the specific arts ecology, the vibrancy of this, this great place we live. Right. Okay, well... Um, I guess we can now segue into the theater of state. Sure, uh, yeah. Your book. It all relates. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess uh, I, this is the question that you tackle in the book. In what ways is the global stage like a theater? Yeah. So uh, I actually kind of try to avoid metaphor, right? It's not necessarily that it's like a theater, but that it is, right? right. And theater in the sense of being... Um, a space in which the, the, the sort of crux of things is uh, a, a public presentation for an audience. And that, that's sort of how the work of, of global diplomacy is done. And that's how, in this case, I was looking specifically at the work of the United Nations and the International Criminal Court. And, and very often when we think of, of high-level diplomacy, we think mainly of what happens behind closed doors, right? right? The deals that happen in the back room when the cameras are off and so on. But in fact, I think that, that so much of what becomes efficacious and material uh, uh, in terms of global politics is, is those things that, that, of course, happen before the cameras for public consumption, those things that are designed to have an effect on a global audience that may or may not see themselves as, as having any agency or power to change the world around them. Right. So that, that was my interest in, in, in theater of state was recognizing that to say something like the UN is, is all a bunch of theater is not a pejorative, like, right. The, 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 it's, it's not, we shouldn't, think that, dismiss that as just something negative, all show, all talk, no effects, but mm -hmm. in fact to recognize that the effects are a function of the theater, right? That the theater itself is where meanings are made and where uh, 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 global change begins to take effect and happen. Now, that's not to say that, that the other things, the stuff happening behind closed doors doesn't matter or, you know, an army occupying a country, right? Uh, Russia invading Ukraine doesn't matter. Of course, all of that, that stuff matters as well. But I don't think you can separate it from the theater. Right. The, the theater is is part and parcel with everything else. 
uh, and shouldn't be dismissed. Mm-hmm. And it's being done on purpose as well. I think they're yeah. aware that this is a theater. <laughs> and, and that's why I use the term dramaturgy, right? So mm-hmm. so this this word dramaturgy, I think, is in my discipline, we think of it as, as something everyone understands, but it's it's kind of an obscure or, or, or uh, 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 a little bit uh, uh, not a common concept for many. Uh, uh, dramaturgy, if you're talking about a dramaturg on a or a dramaturge on a, a play, they're the person who's working behind the scenes to kind of keep everyone on the same page with the context. So they maybe are doing the historical research, they're bringing it into the rehearsal room, they're helping the actors to understand who their character was, they're helping the director to get a sense of maybe the period of what's going on. They're also helping the audiences to kind of recognize the broader context, the ways in which that performance kind of can have effects out in the world, right? So they're they're doing a, a wide variety of jobs. Uh, that, that's if you had a, a dramaturge as a specific like role on a production. Uh, dramaturgy also names a, a, an approach that we might take to, to making theater, to making performance. Uh, one in which, you know, it's not just about taking the, the written work of a playwright and, and, and getting the actors to learn their lines and perform their blocking just so, but where we might uh, uh, think of the project as drawing on a lot of different sources, uh, bringing them together and staging them in unique ways. So the dramaturgy, uh, uh, a dramaturgy of the United Nations, what I I mean by that is this notion that there's something intentional about the way that all of these elements are arrayed and then also specifically how we as audience are are placed by that theater, right? Right. And if we are spectators of the UN spectacle, mm-hmm. do we as spectators have power? I guess that's my next question. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we do, but I think it's a subtle power. One of the guiding questions of my research was was why perform at all, right? When we know that you know war may come or not, that like at the end of the day, you know the the army invading is is going to be the arbiter, right? That that power matters. Let's put it that way. Right. What need we to perform? We can think, you know, I have the chapter looking at at the 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 war in Iraq and and the work of the U.S. to secure resolutions legitimating the the invasion of Iraq uh, in the U.N. Security Council and and you know I think for many of us observing at that period in time it was kind of clear which way the wind was blowing that 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 the U.S. had the power to do what we wanted to do and and we're going to do it. Um, so why bother? with the the theater of state why bother going to the u.n to do those things and, and i think it's because uh we as spectators do have again the, this this uh small power uh to 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 change things that, that our buy-in is ultimately necessary uh and securing that buy-in is one way of doing it now in, in the book i explore you know the, the arguments are perhaps a bit more nuanced than than we have time to get into here right. <laughs> uh you know i think that there's a variety of other ways in which spectatorship has effects in the world uh specifically the Looking at something like UN peacekeeping, where where we can identify that the role of a UN peacekeeper is to be uh, a, a spectator of sorts, right? To observe a ceasefire, right? To 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 put the gaze of the world on a specific area of conflict to try to do something about that conflict, to ameliorate the violence going on there, uh, 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 you know, to draw resources to it. Um, and this is another role that the theater and the arts play as well, right? Where our attention goes is where uh, money, material, and people are going to go as well, right? right. Uh, and so we, as, as a, 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 an aggregate, have a role to play in, in driving attention in these different directions. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, highlight uh, a quote from page 73 from your book mm. uh, that highlights empathy as a tool of policy. Mm. Um, and it's when, I think, Patton 
meets with the policymakers. And I, I was thinking about this distance that policymakers have with their constituents and mm-hmm. how a theater can actually help bridge those two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and empathy is is. So empathy, I think, is a complicated concept and more complicated than we give it uh, 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 um, uh, credit for being when we think of what the role of the arts in producing empathy is, because certainly, you know, uh, uh, an artistic representation can encourage empathy with others right with uh those that we may not know and that there's value in this in in having that sort of empathetic relationship being developed and generated uh and and there's perhaps also for policymakers sort of a danger uh in in engaging in that sort of empathy because they need to you know empathy obligates us in certain ways if you're empathetic with the other and and their plight you got to do something about it and policymakers don't always want to be obligated to, to intervene, certainly not at the, the, the international level like that. At the same time, though, empathy kind of, um, I, I think there's a risk with empathy, and, and, and I explore this in the book, the degree to which, you know, those resources and interventions that empathy encourages may not always have the effects that we want them to have, right? You know, that the, the, the power of spectatorship to, to bring uh, uh, you know, military forces to a certain place in the world is is very real, right? And if empathy leads to new conflict, that might be more difficult. I don't know if that's an idea that I'm quite getting across as well here as as I as I I try to explore in the book. But I am, I think that too often. Let me put it this way: too often when we think about theater and we think about the arts, uh, we settle into an easy notion that the the role of uh, the arts in making change in the world is encouraging this sort of empathy. And I think that the role of the arts is a bit more complicated and goes beyond uh, the the forms of empathy that it encourages, right? And I also think that, you know, uh, the arts are an arena in which we perhaps should be encouraged to do right in the world in spite of whether or not we're capable of empathizing with the other, mm-hmm. right? To imagine that we can only do right by the other if we've entered into a position of empathizing that is of of fully understanding their plight, I think is kind of a, a weak politics that in fact uh, it, it behooves us to do right by all those others around the world uh, in spite of what we may think or feel about them. Right. Yeah. Empathy shouldn't be necessary to do right by somebody. All right. Well, I encourage people to go and check out uh, Jim's uh, book, Theater of State, A Dramaturgy of the UN. Um, And I guess to close off, I'd like to go a little bit more into um, your involvement with the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts. And if you have any upcoming dates apart from that. Yeah. Oh, we've got plenty. On March 3rd and 4th, we have another artist residency from Michelle and Gibson, who's a, a choreographer and describes herself as a cultural ambassador, and her project is called the New Orleans Original Buckshop, uh, and that'll be on Thursday night, March 3rd. She'll be giving a community workshop in Rudder Auditorium um, for uh, open to the public. A- a- anyone can join us. Just need to, to email us at the AVPA, avpa at tamu.edu, uh, and that'll be a, a workshop with a live brass band in her second line movement aesthetic, and right now we're in the process of setting up our, our season for, for next year, for 20. 2223. So I'm very excited about the other uh, dance, theater, music, and visual arts we have we have coming to town. 
I'm sure you, that it sounds very exciting. And I encourage everyone to go to that website, AVPA. A, uh, sorry, our website is academyarts.tamu.edu. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you heard it here. Thank you so much, Dr. Ball, for stopping by and giving us this um, enlightening conversation. I, I had a great time, and uh, I'd be happy to talk more anytime. Hello, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the studio. Uh, my name is Hector Nino, host of The Heart of Art. And today in the studio, we have a very interesting guest with us today. His name is Caleb Gandhi. He is a local tattoo artist. If you want to check out his work, you can go to his Instagram at Caleb Gandhi Tattooer. That's Gandhi like candy, but with a G. Uh, all together, Caleb Gandhi Tattooer. And he is currently working at uh, Legacy Tattoo if you want to go uh, see his work. Uh, hi, Caleb. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> awesome. Uh, let's jump right into it. So how long have you been tattooing for now? Uh, professionally or like just all together? Mm, professionally first. Let's go there. Uh, since 2009. Okay, awesome. And when when did you start tattooing unprofessionally? Like 2003. I was like 13-ish. All right, awesome. Yeah. And where was that? Just around the house, like on me, friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have like a hometown? Where are you from? Yeah, no, I'm from Hearn. I'm from Hearn. From Hearn. Okay, cool. And is tattooing your only medium, or do you do other forms as no, well? No, I uh, I do like watercolor, like uh, but not like like splashy almost. Just that's just what I like to paint with. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. And for tattooing, did you have anybody that was kind of like a mentor or a teacher for you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's like a bunch of people I can name. You know, like mm -hmm. um. Mike Cruz, he uh, he showed me how to, like, I was already tattooing, but they weren't good. And then he just, like, uh, showed me what it was. Okay, yeah. awesome, awesome. And how how would that person, like, teach you? Was there a way that, like, on an orange, or how do you practice even tattooing? Um, On people, there's there's no, uh, what do you call it, um, substitute for the real thing. Mm -hmm. So, like, on people, so people are going to walk around with bad tattoos for a while until you can fix them. All right, so you started off right on skin. There's no. <laughs> I did like I did like an orange before, and then I was like, oh, I got this. Okay, yeah. awesome. I like the confidence. I like. Right. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so there was no intimidation, you would say, when you were going into the skin. On the orange, no. On the skin, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a little bit different when like the medium's like breathing, you know. I bet. And yeah. they're gonna look down and be like, oh man, that looks like that's bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, when you do start tattooing, are there any type of styles that you gravitate towards? Um, like me personally or just people in general? Well, uh, I would say you personally, but I know there's a difference between, you know, what people want and what yeah. you want to do and can do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess having in mind what that you're going to have to appeal to what people want, what would you say is like something that you like doing the most? Um, that, that Again, that's hard to say because I like, I like any tattoo that's going to like be good like 20 years down the road you know like mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff that's done that's like it's got like a five-year shelf life before it's like well this doesn't look good anymore and it sucks because that's like what's all over the internet now because tattooing wasn't super popular until like 10 years ago and that's like when instagram came on the scene so bad ideas on instagram kind of go hand in hand interesting so you think instagram kind of gave tattooing like a propel forward in a way it definitely helped and like social media and i just say instagram because that's what i use a lot right so i definitely say social media definitely like 
That's awesome. Shot yeah. it forward, yeah. I mean, yeah, through your feed on um, on your Instagram, I see there's a lot of like a Japanese style, yeah, love it. a lot of traditional, mm-hmm. um, even like the mix of the two. So th- that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm thinking about like the intimacy that there is between you and the person that you are tattooing, you know, being so close to that person physically, and then maybe even tattooing something that means a lot to them. Are there at times that you have to act as a therapist even? Yeah, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate it. Like, yeah. um, I, I, it's like, I got my own problems. Like, so it's, it's really hard to like listen to other people's problems. Cause it's like, man, now I got to carry that weight too. So, right, um, right. but I will say that, like the as far as like memorials and stuff like that, there's like extra pressure without you telling me about it already. Like just like yeah, it's a memorial for you know so and so, and it's like okay, well now it's already heavy, and then it's like you know while I'm tattooing you, you're telling me like how great this dude was and how he died and all this shit. And it's like well now I can't enjoy my lunch. Like so I mean, <laughs> that sounds selfish, but I mean that's that's what it is. Now I gotta live with that information if i run into you at the grocery store like that's how you're burning in my mind right, you know right, yeah does that happen often do you run into people mm-hmm. oh really yeah and and how are those interactions like i mean it's cool like but you know sometimes like i i don't want to talk about work you know it's like i just got to go grab these like you know pieces of candy or whatever and it's like i run in it's like oh man i run into like johnny questions or whatever and he's got a million questions it's like I left the car running, man. Like, come on, I don't. Yeah, yeah, but it's cool. Like, it's cool. Like, mm-hmm. I get it. Like, there's no off button for it, even for me. Like, cause I'm always drawing and stuff. So, mm-hmm. right. I was gonna ask about that. Like, the balance between your work and your art. <clears throat> Do you find that difficult at times, or too overbearing, maybe? <laughs> um, no. It's just like work before play. Mm-hmm. So it's like I got to do what I have to do before I can just draw. But it sucks because you know. You work and work and work, and now it's like, oh man, I'm I'm kind of tired. So, right, but. yeah. So that yeah, that's something difficult to work through. The fact that like your work is also your art, <laughs> so you kind of have to find time for yourself as well. Yeah. Right. Um, do you currently have like any tattoo like goals or any specific like artistic project that you'd say you would want to do, but you haven't really gotten the opportunity to? Um just travel and that's not that's more like the pandemic than anything like that really mm-hmm. squat like i just got my passport and then the pandemic hit so i couldn't do anything with it so it sucked right i noticed on your facebook i think it was that you were in hawaii yeah yeah, yeah. That, right. was, that was before the the pandemic shit. oh that's awesome and yeah. what what places would you like to visit uh i mean any anywhere like japan for sure because the, the tattooing is great china because there's like a cool scene there like just anywhere there's cool tattooing going on really like uh I want to go to like Macau and gamble because it's like the gambling capital of the world. So that's pretty tight. Like wow. casinos are crazy over there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And um, at these places that you do visit, do you ever have any like jobs there? Do you get any appointments from people in, from that area? Oh, yeah. No, I didn't go to any of those places. I was just saying like I'd like to go there. But no, when I go to Hawaii, like uh, my friend has a shop there and like he has a shop in Kaleen too, Kingpin. And uh, I'll go up there and I'll hang out with them and tattoo and. He also has a shop in Hawaii, so we'll shoot over to Hawaii sometimes. Like, I don't go there super often. I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm just in Hawaii. No, it's just like we'll go over there and, like, tattoo, like, once every year or two years and just hang out at his shop there. Wow, that's super awesome. Cool. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Um. All right. Do you still uh, paint? Yeah, yeah. When paint. I can, yeah. All right. And what type of styles do you do when you're painting? Or is there a difference between the styles that you do between when you're tattooing and when you're painting? Um, It's hard. I'm trying to get away from, like 
tattooing and painting the same style just because like you don't you don't learn doing the same thing over and over and over you just learn how to do the same thing better so right. i'm trying to get away from like harder lines in painting because that's you know tattoos without lines aren't that good so just like getting thinner lines and stuff um but that that's pretty much it you know? all right uh, well i think that's all the questions I had. Um, yeah, if you are interested in, in Caleb's work, make sure to check out his Instagram, at Caleb Gandhi Tattooer, and you can visit him at Legacy Tattoo. Are there any other places that they can visit you at, or is it just Legacy? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at the North Shop at Legacy. Okay, awesome. And then Kingpin sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, make sure to get in contact with him, and thank you so much, Caleb, for stopping by. I really appreciate yeah, it. It was fun, man. Awesome. All right, we are nearing the end of our show. Another thank you to Dr. James R. Ball, who was uh, so informative today. Thank you so much for giving us that insight. Uh, Caleb, Caleb Gandhi, thank you so much for uh, giving us your insight on the tattoo world. Uh, We really appreciate it. And if you uh, are an artist or want to share with me an art event that you want to promote, uh, make sure to email theheartofart at tamu.edu. And I will be receiving those personally. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to tune in next week 